Interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with the coolest guy in compliance, Matt Kelly, for another deep dive into the weeds. Today, we're going to have some fun because we take up domestic corruption, or as Matt says, FCPA, the F is silent. So, Matt, (laughs) first of all, the ComEd bribery action, it looked like you had just a delightful ton of fun writing this blog post. You know, this this was just crazy what happened here because for so much of it, I mean, this was ComEd is the largest electric utility in Illinois, and it is a subsidiary of Exelon, one of the largest power companies in the United States. Uh, But it's all domestic activity. So there is no FCPA charge involved in this whatsoever. But if you read through the misconduct, Seriously, Tom, every single FCPA professional would say, yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that. I've seen that. I've seen that. We've just seen it in like Kazakhstan or China or Indonesia or whatever. Uh, in this case with ComEd, uh, it's right here in Illinois, which resulted in ComEd paying a $200 million fine and a three-year deferred prosecution agreement. Uh, and it implicates the Speaker of the House of Representatives for the state of Illinois, a man named Michael Madigan, who we should note has not yet been charged in any misconduct related to this, although uh, apparently federal agents in Chicago were executing subpoenas and search warrants upon Mr. Madigan's office while their boss, the U.S. attorney for Chicago, was holding a press conference announcing the settlement with ComEd. So it's a big mess for anybody who is living and working in Chicago or Illinois. For everybody else, this is, like you said, this is FCPA without the F. So it looked like we had uh, bribe payments made uh, in the form of lobbying contracts and my favorite, no-show jobs, uh, to associates of the Illinois uh, House Speaker so that he would shepherd through uh, favorable legislation for the company. Um, As a former union guy, one of the banes of union uh, corruption was no-show jobs, and here we've got it uh, literally all the way up to the Illinois House speakers. Um, but uh, what were some of the – were you able to determine some of the legislation that he uh, was able to help uh, pass through the Illinois legislature? It, it looks like there were two bills in particular, uh, one that was enacted, I think, in 2011, the other one in 2016, um, both of them basically to help uh, – ComEd stabilize the rates that it could charge to consumers so it could have a bit more financial stability. When this all started, which looks to be about 2011 or 2012, uh, ComEd was not really doing all that well financially. And uh, these pieces of legislation, uh, the exact names I don't have, but they're all abbreviated in acronyms that would make no sense to everybody else anyways. Um, the legislation allowed ComEd to have more control and clarity over its rate-setting ability, which could then bring it some financial stability, which could then turn around the company's fortunes. 
Um, that's what ComEd wanted. Now, what did it then give to um, Michael Madigan's associates? Uh, there was uh, one executive who was an ex-state rep who had worked with Madigan way back in the 70s and 80s and then wound up being a senior lobbyist for ComEd um, until, I think, clear into 2019 or 2018. Um, but he would then direct ComEd to hire either certain political consultants or more likely uh, that the political consultants would subcontract some quote-unquote legislative risk analysis work. Um, and that would be done by the subcontractor who, of course, was some pal or crony or whoever uh, associate of Michael Madigan. And uh, that was the scam. And let's think about this. This is poor oversight over your third parties where you have uh, insight into your contractor, but not the subcontractors. And that's how they sneak in these um, hacks who might be getting, say, $5,000 a month and that's their no-show job. That's their no-show salary. But it is reflected in the company's books and records as the contract with the primary lobbyist. That has gone up by $5,000 a month. And in fact, that 5000 is then kicked down to the subcontractor who's got the no-show job because he's a friend of Mike Madigan's from way back when. Um, a former city councilor for Chicago, for example. That's exactly what they did here. Um, so that was one scam. I have even more alarming scams, if you would want to go into those. Oh, this one is too juicy a pass-up. So th there was another one where by 2018, ComEd's then-CEO, a woman named Anne Pramajori, I believe. I might be mangling the last name a bit. But um, she was steering some of Madigan's friends into these subcontracting jobs. And like, she was the CEO of the company. Um, and then also, in starting in 2017, Madigan was strong-arming Pramagiori to put one of his cronies on ComEd's board of directors. Um, Pramagiori first asked whether that associate of Madigan's, would he accept another no-show job that paid the same salary of $78,000 a year to do no work, um, which actually strikes me as rather low for a board director to do no work. I thought board directors would make six figures to do no work, but anyways, 78,000. Um, but Madigan and his cronies insisted that no, this person did need a board seat. Um, finally, he was named to the board in April of 2019. The complaint and the deferred prosecution agreement filed by the feds, they don't name who that board director was. However, we do know from SEC filings that a man named Juan Ochoa joined the board in April 2019, on the day that this allegedly happened. He left the board by April of 2020. Juan Ochoa was a director of a convention center authority and also ran a PR and lobbying firm uh, in Chicago, which, of course, is just exactly who you would want to be on the board of directors of an energy company. Um, but yes, so it all evidence suggests that Juan Ochoa was the Madigan crony who wanted a board on a ComEd seat. And after some pushback from the CEO, eventually she said, ah, sure, whatever, and put him on the board for like a year. Um, and there were other things, um, favored law firms that wound up getting contracts with ComEd. 
or students in Madigan's district who wound up in uh, ComEd's internship program and all sorts of favoritism that, look, we've all seen it before. FCPA officials have just seen it in other countries, but we also have this nonsense going on right here in the United States. Um, in fact, Tom, as you and I are talking today, uh, feds in Ohio just arrested their House Speaker uh, for similar sort of corruption charges involving another energy company that was doing favors for uh, the House Speaker down there, whose name I don't recall, but he got taken away in handcuffs, and they picked up four other associates of his. So, like, this is part of a pattern. We can talk about comment because we have a lot of details, but nobody should be under any illusions that FCPA-like stuff doesn't happen in the United States. Of course it does. It just happens at the state house level. But when you look, you see it all over the place. And we just happen to have two examples within the last couple of days. Matt, it's not all gloom and doom because ComEd made somewhat of a comeback and actually reduced their overall fine and penalty because of their compliance program and compliance response. You want to detail a little of that for us? Yeah. So this was outlined in the deferred prosecution agreement, which is well worth reading if you are a compliance professional. Um, ComEd would have been facing a fine under the federal sentencing guidelines of somewhere from 240 to 480 million. And they wound up, they landed at 200 million um, specifically because of the compliance remediation steps that they had been taking and will continue to take as part of the settlement. Um, we do know that ComEd provided a lot of cooperation um, that included an expedited investigation. Um, it included giving briefings to federal investigators who were working on this case. It did not include any voluntary self-disclosure. Uh, ComEd apparently did not know the jig was up until Somebody in the U.S. Attorney's Office started serving subpoenas, but once ComEd realized, okay, we have a big issue here, they did do a very thorough, prompt, expedited investigation to try and get ahead of this. Um, ComEd has fired or parted ways with numerous employees or other hangers-on vendors and whatnot who were involved in this. Um, we should note this does include former CEO Ian Pramagiori. She abruptly retired from her job last year, although by then she had been kicked upstairs from uh, being CEO of ComEd to being a senior executive at Exelon, the parent company. We have to talk about Exelon's role in this later on. Um, they also created this new executive vice president for compliance and audit role. It has uh, been filled by a man named David Glockner, who is a former top criminal prosecutor for the U.S. Attorney's Office in Chicago. He had actually gone to the private sector between that job and this one. He was uh, head of compliance at, I think, Citadel or something like that for a while. Um, they have implemented a new tracking system for requests from political people who might be looking for any favors at all. They reformatted their vendor tracking system so that they can see, are there any subcontractors? They have policies against subcontracting for political lobbyists and all this stuff, which I bet sounds mighty familiar to FCPA professionals who have been doing this sort of stuff for overseas compliance issues and internal control issues for many years. And now Exelon is catching up to it by doing these kind of things um, here in the great old U.S. of A. So that's what they have been doing, and it did 
result in uh, some high praise in parts of the DPA for the cooperation, and they wound up cutting their potential fine. They got 20% off the bottom range. You know, you can't complain about that. That's nice. So uh, I would just like to note that uh, the total bribes payments appeared to be in the range of $1.3 million, and that's a $200 million fine. So uh, pretty big multiplier there on the uh, fine and penalty. But, Matt, it really didn't end um, at the company level because I think we need to consider, first of all, ComEd's board and then the owner of ComEd, Exelon. What did you see sort of above the – ComEd president who resigned. Well, yeah, that is uh, fair to say. First off, we have the likes of uh, Juan Ochoa, the board director who streaked across the governance stage there for a year and then flew the coop. Um, There were several other board directors who were well advanced in age. And while I do not rule out the idea that you can be a vigorous board member when you are in your 80s, to have several board members in your 80s, uh, in their 80s, seems like this may just be sort of a sinecure for somebody doing a last hurrah. And how often are they seriously engaged in governance? I don't know. But my big question is for the CEO of Exelon, the parent company, um, that is a man named Christopher Crane. So Crane has been Exelon's CEO since 2012. And he has been serving on the ComEd board since 2012. And just for some history here, um, Exelon came about as part of a merger that happened 20 years ago when ComEd merged with a couple of other energy companies around the country and poof, we have Exelon. But, you know, it's not like ComEd entered into the Exelon orbit sometime recently. This has been around in part of the Exelon, and it's not a small part of Exelon. It's about 16% of Exelon's total revenues last year. Like, ComEd is a big part of Exelon. Crane started at ComEd in 1992, after the uh, 1998. After the big merger, he drifted into more senior roles at Exelon in the 2000s, but he winds up serving on ComEd's board throughout all of this misconduct. Um, he is CEO of the parent company throughout all of this misconduct. So how did he not know this was going on? Either he didn't know it was going on, in which case I wondered, like, what were you doing on the board? I literally, there were board members in the room next to you who clearly should not have been there. Um, or did he know about it? Now, nobody has said anything to that effect yet. Uh, we do not know whether Christopher Crane might be a target of any investigation. There's no evidence yet that suggests that. But there is that reference in the DPA that uh, ComEd has to cooperate with pursuing individual wrongdoings or wrongdoers. So what is Crane's role in all of this? That remains unclear to me. But if we're talking about a high level of commitment to corporate compliance – which, of course, is lots of emphasis on that in the DPA with ComEd. How does that intersect with what Crane was doing at the parent company while sitting in at least semi-closely on ComEd's doings when it stank to high heaven? How does this all work? I, I don't know. But that is, um, that's a big question, that Mark, that I have. So, Matt, I'm not quite sure of the complete breadth and scope of the Compliance into the Weeds yeah. listenership, but I would doubt – Plaintiffs' lawyers who file security actions are a large part, but if there are any listening, I would just ask you to think about Caremark uh, in the context Mm -hmm. of this case because it seems to me that the board uh, completely abrogated its role 
in any type of uh, compliance program, at least up until the time they started cooperating with the Fed. So um, just lots of issues, lots of governance, lots of compliance, and it, it may not even be ending, Matt. Well, you know, one other final thought. I was talking about this case with an associate of mine who is the U.S. compliance officer for a global company based overseas that, suffice to say, has had its track record of FCPA trouble in the past. Um, And this U.S. compliance officer told me that they hear routinely from U.S. executives like, the FCPA is not something we need to worry about. You know, anti-bribery stuff is for what happens way over there. The implication, of course, being over there is the emerging markets where they're all grubby and desperate for business, and that's where all the shakedowns happen. We don't have these problems here in the U.S. That's what they were telling this U.S. compliance officer. And, like, what planet are they on that they think this doesn't happen? And it is um, refreshing to the FCPA compliance community almost, uh, to see that, yes, we have these issues here too, and we need to take this seriously globally, even though it is an FCPA, there is plenty of domestic corrupt practices happening right under our nose. And if you pay a uh, little heed to them, you can wind up getting bit in the rear end, just like what happened with ComEd. Well, man, I can only say I'm shocked, simply shocked that there's corruption in Illinois or the Chicago politician would be involved. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Well, Matt, this was a ton of fun. It was a great blog post. Of course, we'll link to it in the show notes. I can't wait to see what next week brings us. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me, tfox, at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you will join Matt and I again next week where we take up another topic and take a deep dive into the weeds of it. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being a loyal listener. And we look forward to visiting with you again. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, please leave a message on the speaker app on the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.